I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following episode was recorded before the WGA SAG-AFTRA strikes of 2023. Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of Six Degrees with Kevin Bacon. Every week, I'm going to be sitting down with some of your favorite celebrities, as well as leaders from their favorite nonprofits, and we are going to highlight some of the most pressing social issues of our time. So tune in every Tuesday for your weekly dose of do-gooders. Now, let's start the show. And what a way to be kicking this off with one of my absolute favorite actors. I am constantly in awe of the work that this man does on the screen and off a great great person a great citizen of the world and a terrific and versatile performer mr mark ruffalo so happy to have mark ruffalo here today um well we've known each other for a long time but you know, it's funny because I actually, and this is embarrassing to say, I've forgotten that we'd actually work together. I mean, we didn't really work together, but we were in the same movie. Yeah. Which which was in the cut. That's right. Uh, and I, I, um, we're going to get into, uh, your activism and the, and the organization, et cetera. I just want to shoot the shit just for a little bit. Sure. I remember that uh, two things about that movie one was that i wanted your part really really badly and jane camping was like now are you out of your mind i got fucking ruffalo i'm you're not you're not going to play this part and uh 
So she came back and said, well, there is this weird, you know, tiny little thing. And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, she's like, uh, you know, an amazing director and you uh, were, were doing it and Meg and I, you know, and my wife always jokes with me that I, I have this way of finding like these incredibly important directors and doing the one movie with them that nobody saw. <laughs> and like she says, that's like my talent. And uh, I thought you were great in the movie and it was a Thank really cool you. movie. Very, very interesting, trippy, like in the way it was shot, you know, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, all that kind of like split diopter stuff and yes. all this kind of crazy shit going on. But uh, it, it was not, it, it didn't make it, n nobody put on a tuxedo, let's say. No, no, no it was quite, uh, I remember, I, yeah, I think it's such a, uh, I, I think it's underappreciated, obviously. And you were great in it too, by the way. And, um, but yeah. I think there was such a backlash to, first of all, um, see, the audience, I don't think, wanted to see Meg, Meg like that. You know, there, I remember there's a lot of, a lot of the criticism was that to see her like that was, right. uh, was too disturbing for people. Which is just so wrong. I mean, you know, and it's interesting when you have the kind of huge success that she has, uh, really as you know she was america's sweetheart clearly yeah. you know and yeah. a very very had a very kind of specific kind of thing and then to to kind of you know as as well as i do that well i mean speak to me about that like you are an actor an incredible actor if i may say who wow, thank you. Uh, is not in any way um uh pigeonholed in terms of the things or the kinds of parts that you do or the size of the movies that you do or the tone of the movies that you do, you really have a, a incredible kind of uh, diversity. But I have felt, and I've, I'd like to hear your feelings about this, that getting that in this business is a, is a real struggle. For sure. First of all, I want to say, I did think with Meg, it, it, it felt a little sexist to me, you know. Hundred um, percent. You know, it's like it, it's much harder, I think, for a woman to do that than than a guy. You know, they celebrate it when a guy does it. Oh man, look at he did! It. Wow, he's doing something new. You know, he changed it up. Um, I it is incredibly hard, and you, you know, you've done the same thing. Um, you just have to, you know, I, I found myself always having to fight against, you know, people think they know you, casting directors think they know you, directors think they know you, you do, you do one part and you do it well. And then everyone thinks, oh, that's who he must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but it isn't. And, and we're much bigger than, but you know, no one, they don't know they don't have the imagination or they just they haven't seen you do much of anything yet and so it was always this kind of fight to stay ahead of that and to make sure early on that what i was doing wasn't a repeat of i know this much i mean you can count on me you know mm -hmm. it, it right. I, I i like specifically try to do something totally different than that just to keep widening the brackets of what people thought was possible which by the way was incredible and you were incredible in it and i think that was probably the first time that that i saw you uh you know I, it Thanks. was just so 
it was so great. And you're right. I mean, you do something well and and they want to see you do it again. I mean, how many dance movies were, were you offered, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the next movie that I did after the dance movie was a bike movie. And I did it because it had this, the director kept saying to me, I'm going to have this kind of gritty, you know, score. He kept talking about Scorsese, you know, and, and like that was my whole hero world was the whole Scorsese, you know, De Niro, Pacino, New York-y kind of thing. And we were yep. going to shoot in New York and it was going to be gritty, gritty, gritty. Kept taking gritty. By the time the movie filmed, I had a, a, a dance sequence on a bike. I remember. It was just the worst. I mean, <laughs> they just, like snuck that up on snuck, snuck it up on me. And <laughs> oh, I, 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 tr- I tried to push back, but to, to no avail. And I, I you know, to, to this day, honestly, it's funny that you bring the, that up. Is I, I think of, I think of that as exactly the, the, the issue that we're really talking about is that I, you know, I was trying to, go in a different direction and i just it was just like they're just pulling me back to you know uh you know america's whatever dancer or whatever i was so uh i i admire you for for you know for for stepping outside i mean what what let me ask you this what was it that gave you the confidence uh you know even after you can count on me to 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 make you think that you could do that you know, honestly, it was it was all the years that I was struggling, and in those years, you know, the thirteen years, um, too, you can count on me, was all theater. You know, it was all this little. You know, I was living in L.A., so you could do like a three thousand dollar production. It wasn't like New York, where you have to have half a million dollars to do like the the crappiest little thing anywhere. You know, it was like we could do a three thousand dollar production, so. In those thirteen years, I'd done you know like thirty five plays, and in no the course, of okay. That so, time, when you left home, you moved to New York. I mean, to, to LA, no, not to New York. Yeah, yeah. When I was oh, eighteen. Okay, okay. okay. And, and yeah, and where, and that's where, where, where were you coming from? Where were you coming from? I so I was coming from um, at that point. I was coming from um, I was coming from California. No, I was in Calif. I was in California, but I was coming from Virginia Beach, where I spent part of my teenage years, and the rest of them were in Wisconsin. Okay. And so by the by the time I was uh, eighteen, I had moved. My family had moved like six times. Wow. You know, so I also started to understand that you know a personality wasn't muted or mutable. It was like something that was constantly could be, was malleable, you know, and, 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 you know, moving that many times, you're sort of recreating yourself with a different friend group and so on and so forth. Uh, Or or you're just so self-possessed that you never change ever. Right. But I wasn't that guy. Right. Right. So you, so you were all, it was already kind of laying the foundation for understanding how to walk in somebody else's shoes because you were trying to, 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 to fit in to, 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 to desperately. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same years. Yeah. I think a lot of the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that I'm feeling that way. And, 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 you know, there were times that I I sometimes, and I don't know if you ever had this where I would sometimes have a, you know, a dark day and feel that I wasn't really being authentic in anything because there were some people 
who were just so specifically like that guy. And because my friends were, you know, kind of all over the map and my, my point of view and like I had friend groups that really wouldn't interact with each other. Um, you know, sometimes I felt a little, I don't know, fake or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, well, I was the same way. You know, I, I, I could have, I was with the wrestlers, I was with the stoners, I was with the, you know, the, the punk rockers, I was with the skaters, I was with the surfers, you know, right. I, I, <laughs> I, I can, I can move right. in all of those groups, you know, huh. um, but I know so, what you mean. So you met, to, you went to LA and did theater in LA. Yeah. See, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I, I never really even considered going to LA because I was coming from Philly so it was a, a short trip and, yeah. and and New York was you know I had a kind of a romanticized idea of what a New York actor was but it was also because of the theater and the idea of I mean uh actually doing theater in LA was like very far but that's totally cool who did that I mean yeah, you know who yeah. goes to LA to do theater and you know the, the funny the hilarious thing was is I'd been doing theater there for so long and I'd been begging casting directors to come and see it. And um, I, I, I came to New York to do a play. I did uh, This Is Our Youth, which was like, it, it just exploded, right? And all right, the LA sure. casting directors were like, where the fuck did you come from? <laughs> and I was like, motherfuckers, I've been under your nose for the past 13 years doing this exact same thing, you know? Um, yeah, that's funny because... That was kind of, I remember people saying, well, you could go to LA and do a play, but the great thing about that is that all the casting directors, when you get to LA, will all come to the theater. And I, I, I had my doubts. That's really it because they were all, you know, whatever, having dinner at the Ivy, but, but that's, that is, uh, that that's a, that's fascinating. So uh, do you think that getting a bunch of theater under your belt mm. has had, has uh, uh, contributed to this, uh, you know, ability to be diverse in the in the in the parts that you play. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I was doing Shakespeare. I was doing Chekhov. I was doing you know modern stuff that we were writing. I was doing. Um, we were doing David Ray. We were doing uh, O'Neill. We were doing Tennessee Williams. We we were doing every. We were doing Moliere. We were doing. Uh, <laughs> we were doing uh -huh. uh, Bernard Shaw. We were doing so many different uh, styles and uh, ages and time periods that I just. I, I just became very fluid in my understanding of style, my understanding of farce, my understanding of comedy, my understanding of drama, you know, and then and then just all that character work that you're doing along the way. And you just you just came to see that, you know, there really as an as an actor, there really was no limitations. You weren't just a comic actor or you weren't just a dramatic actor and the best actors were actually one foot on a banana peel and the other in the grave you know where you could mm -hmm. where you could shift those gears <laughs> you know yeah easily yeah 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 i mean i remember having a little of notion uh about theater and that was that you know if you um that that when they were casting television and movies in 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 new york that they were really 
they wanted the actual person to the closest they could like they was the closest that they could find to the actual person if they you know the kid was supposed to be from brooklyn they wanted a kid from brooklyn yeah, yeah. Know, that 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 was the person that they, they they got the part but theater was not that way if you went and auditioned and did a good job portraying that character in the audition in that you know on that stage then you would get the part and i i noticed that really really early on and I, I i don't know about you but i think part of it is that you know film is so in your face and i think the directors get a get really afraid of of um something becoming being false you know acting yeah act- <laughs> I want to see you acting. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but, especially when you're young too, because you only are one thing when you're young. You know, the the, the idea of of <laughs> of you being anything more than what you walk in the door with for a casting director is is as far as they can see. You know, I I just did this documentary. Someone was just giving me shit about this, but I just did this doc. My wife. I just did this documentary um, about Bonnie Timmerman, the great, you know, casting director. Who you, you, I think... you, you did it? You directed it? No, no, no. I I, I did an interview for it because she because oh, okay. she's someone I knew. <laughs> I auditioned right. for her. She, I never got a part, right? But she asked me to do this uh, this doc, and they use a clip in this thing where I'm arguing with Michael Bay that I could play somebody other than who he thought I was, you know? And I was so righteous and it's so it's it's embarrassing now. But what oh had happened God, was awesome. they I brought see me this. in for one part, you know? And then halfway through the part, he's like, go out and, no, 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 you're not right for this part. Go read this part. So I went out and prepared for the part. And when I came back in, he's like, you're too young for this part. <laughs> and i got pissed man <laughs> i was like you know you asked me to come up <laughs> you know and that's the that's the clip they used of course oh that's great i gotta see this has to come out yet this bonnie timmerman yeah yeah it's, it's it's been out for a while it's it's floating around on the internet that clip <laughs> oh i gotta check it out i gotta check it out i remember that i think it was bonnie who always had the polaroids right yeah you always you always had she to started take- that yeah, you always had to take a Polaroid, and, and there was a per, there's a at, at one point I don't know I guess I'd been doing enough stuff or I'd been in the office enough, enough times where I was like oh, I, do I have to take a fucking Polaroid? I mean, come on, you know what I look like, right? You know. Anyway, that's no. Great. She 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 uh she told me that she did that because remember how we had to do they don't do this the same way anymore remember how we had to do headshots and you'd have your like <laughs> headshot of you playing tennis you know <laughs> the headshot with your scuba gear on you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you had to do all the character headshots your preppy headshot and right and so you know she was fighting against that kind of um affectation which is why she wanted to do those polaroids but yeah it was like <laughs> One was, are you putting a book together? Like, why? You know, I don't have any makeup on. I'm wearing a t-shirt. You know, but that's what, that's what Bonnie wanted, and she, you know, she. It makes a lot of sense, really, because I mean, those those headshots were. I mean, to this day, they're just oh, they're silly. embarrassing. I, I mean, they're embarrassing. You know, I and I remember having uh that that the the when I finally got an agent, and this would probably be, I guess maybe 
79 or something like that. Wow. And he said, uh, you have to get a headshot. And the photographer is uh, Gerard Barnier. Do you remember this name? He was a, he was a headshot. He was the headshot photographer. Yeah. And it was something like, to me, like an outrageous amount of money. It was something like 500 bucks or something like that. And I was like, I got, how am I going to, how am I going to get $500 to have a, to have a picture taken? I can't, can't like, you know, my cousin take it or something, but no, they had to get, had to get Gerard Bonnier. I think I still have those pictures. They're pretty bad. Yeah. We, we had like the, there was a, you know, then there was a scaled down version and we, we had like the hundred dollar person who we, we all went to, which was literally out. It was always outside with a, uh, you know, a bounce board. <laughs> You're holding your own bounce board for the shot. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, man, how... 500 bucks to us is like, that was, that was like was... two months rent. You know, no, that no, was... no, no, that was, cra- that was crazy, 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 crazy. I, 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 maybe it was less, but I remember it just being so. No, it was, it insane. was that expensive. It was. And there were some yeah. people that I remember, Oh, I can't even remember their names, but there was people in LA that were making a grand to do uh, headshots in the in the late eighties. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, "Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste." And that's where the perspective shift comes—that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is she pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible... Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old... Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. But now you have this thing, okay, that, uh, again, I don't, I can't off the top of my head think of somebody who is able to coexist between, uh, you know, your awesome Marvel world and then these movies that are completely in another sort of direction in a world and, and in a, in a totally different kind of budget range and, and stuff that's like about something serious and things that you care about. And you have the, them both happening at the same time. And, and, and first off, it's, it's, it's sometimes when I think about how long these, these, um, superhero movies take to make, I mean, some, sometimes that I, when I look at your career, I think, how did he fit all of this in? You know, I mean, that it's in itself must must have been a challenge or must continue to be a challenge but also is there ever a time when you kind of go i mean i'm going to know the answer to this but were you ever were you just kind of go well you know yeah i mean i i was you know working on a, on on the uh on the big movie for a long time now i'm just going to you know i, I don't want to do anything else for a little while i just want to rest you know i i it's funny you bring that up because I probably in the last three years have been away from home, you know, in ch- in chunks, probably about a year and a half, almost two years, mm-hmm. um, running back and forth between here and Europe. And, um, I mean, I, you know, I used to, uh, I, I was on a, I don't know what, I, I thought I was going to die young. So I was just trying to get, get as much in as I possibly could, you know? Seriously? It, yeah. In a way. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I, I got a, I, I was driven. I don't know. I don't know what it was. And then, um, I, I just burned out. And, um, so I said, I, I need to take a year off, which is, which is basically what I've been doing in the middle of, 
Um, and it's been, I mean, we had COVID and all that happened, um, but that was just so stressful that, that, you know, it was so kind of traumatic and, and it was hard to really rest because you didn't know, you know, when you were going to get another job and, sure. you know, if you're going to refinance a house or all, all those things that were happening during that time. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely got to the place where I, where I just felt totally burned out. And I, and I, and I was like, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I really want to act again. I'm not even enjoying this anymore. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure everyone gets to some version of that at some point. And, uh, yeah, but have you gotten past it or are you, or is that still kind of how you're feeling? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, st I, <laughs> I go to the art students league and I, I just started a sculpture class and it's just like my, oh, that's my new love, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a, that's such a cool place. Oh my God. It's, I mean, it's my sister, so... my sister goes, she used to go when she was living in New York and, and sometimes I would go over and, and, you know, kind of see what she was working on and stuff. It's, 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 uh, for people that don't know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a it's a place for artists and to work out and it's 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 probably been there since oh gosh i don't know the 1800s maybe or oh yeah i mean it's probably one of the oldest establishments in new york city yeah and you know you you go and and any 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 level of artist uh from the rank beginner to the most you know established artists are there all working side by side and it's affordable. I mean, you get studio space. You're there for five hours as a live model. You know, um, all the materials are there. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's such an invaluable thing in New York City. It's surprised it's even left after uh, Giuliani and Bloomberg. You know, right? Let's right. make New York a luxury uh, high rise built, uh, yeah, especially in that right in that in that little zone too. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, for yeah, it to yeah, survive, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's thriving. It's beautiful. It's uh, you know, there's a quality there. It's diverse. You know, it's so you're sculpting. So so it was <laughs> is that was that relatively new or or, or or no, it's something that I, it's something I always <laughs> fancied myself. I don't even, I don't even know why. I was like, I'm going to be a sculptor. I'm going to be a sculptor. <laughs> awesome, I love that. <laughs> and then finally, I had some time to do it, and I, I made a promise to myself that I would, I would, uh, you know, really spend these last few months doing it and um, just be a beginner and, uh, you know, put your put my phone down. Um, it's mm -hmm, like yeah. five hours of no phone. And uh, you're, you're just, there for five hours. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's a life, it's a life sculpting class. So it's, it's very intense and quiet and, and solemn. And, you know, there's just such meditative a Meditative almost, I would it's think. Very meditative. And, um, you know, you realize. Are you using tools or, or your hands are in the, in the you're clay? You're using your hands mostly mm -hmm. in the clay. I mm -hmm. mean, you're, there's some tools. You, there's a, you know, my teacher, you, you have a, um, a sculpting knife basically, or, or even he, he's use will use like little plastic butter knives too, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you get that nice raking, um, quality, but, um, it's very minimal, but it's, you're in the dirt, you know, you're in the mud and, mm -hmm. uh, it's so primal and, and you're, you know, your focus is so extreme and you have to see, you know, you really have to see. Mm. And you realize how, you know, we, we think we see, oh, that's a tree. You know, we, we, we label things, we'll immediately go to a label, but to really take the time to see 
is like its own discipline and um and i've just find it incredibly soothing to me in this jangled you know techno digital ultra 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 world we're living in you know it's as old as time that's great that's great i mean i think that uh what you know we all we all can use uh different forms of of uh mental soothing of physical connection to to things that aren't on a screen uh, you know it's it god boy it just seems like it's so important now well your music um, i mean isn't your music like that for you to, yeah totally totally yeah. that's that's it for me music and and the animals um right you know we got a lot thing. of horses and and all kinds of animals and and, and i you know i find that uh you know when you're playing music with people you have to listen yeah. you have to react you have to you know you have to groove be present and, yeah and i even think that as an act is as an actors you know um you've worked even in such extreme you know technical situations you know way beyond any of the the stuff that i've done but even the difference uh between going from the stage to film there is a lot of gear that sometimes can distract you uh, from th this exchange of the motions and characters and eyes and 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 bodies and and all this kind of stuff that that you know you you I often say that you know you it, you you got to make sure when you're when you're acting with somebody in in a in a film that you don't let all that gear get between you and and the person and I would think that working in a in a in the, in a you know a green screen or digital or superhero kind of situation it you it becomes even harder to fight against that oh my god it's so intense i mean when i'm doing the hulk stuff i have i have a helmet on that has like four cameras you know basically in my face mm. and wow. Wow. you know and and then a whole rig attached to me, like a, a a vest that has all of the digital recording system on it, you know, with the batteries. And then I'm in a suit that's basically skin. I call it the man canceling suit because it makes you look big <laughs> everywhere you want to look small and small everywhere you want to look big. <laughs> and, I've been in suits like that before. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. <laughs> and so uh, I had a, I had a special loincloth made for my because <laughs> it was just it was too too revealing, you know. So um um the amount you know getting used to that um, and trying to be present in it and and training <laughs> and I'm standing on a box that makes me you know 10 feet right. tall oh geez, so all wow. the actors I'm working with are literally at at you know crotch <laughs> level <laughs> thus the loincloth you know and you're trying to you know you're trying to do that thing you're trying to listen and connect and and you just have this, you know, it was funny because we, we just did She-Hulk and um, and I was breaking in um, Tatiana with all this technology, you know. And what, it hap what happens is, is the technology takes over. And the acting part becomes the sort of side, side gig 
Mm. You know, it's sort of the, it, it, it's the augmentation. It's, it's no longer, it was no longer the thing, you know? And, and I really had to like fight and fight for her and teach her that we can't let this technology stand in front of what we do as performers, which is, I think, part of this big <laughs> fight we're about to have with the screen it, actors. It, it 100% too, you know? is. It 100% is. And, uh, it is really important to remember that and to, you know, to hold on to it. And, and we're going to have to, we're going to have to fight to keep that in the forefront of, of people's minds. It, it's, it, you know, it's ultimately never going to work if, if, if we are, you know, just recreated and I can't wait to see that. I love Tatiana. She's so, she's so oh, good. Love her. It's so funny too. She's great in it, man. She's so good. You know, a lot of the movies that you've made, um, you know, Spotlight being a, a perfect example, um, have had a, um, you know, a point of view, not, you know, a, 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 a well, how can I put this, a, a, a social point of view or an mm. environmental point of view, um, which, which is going to, I mean, do, did you come up with something like the Solutions Project because of that experience, or do you sometimes look for those movies because of your 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 feelings about the world? You know, it's funny because, um, well, first of all, I was always, you know, Stella Adler was my teacher, and, and she was like, you have to be political. You, you, you have to be politically involved. You have to know what's happening. You, you, you know, even if you're playing something in the 30s, you have to know what the political scene was. You have to be involved in that part um, to understand the time and the place and who you're playing and 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 their place in the world at that time, right? So, so well, I, was, I didn't know that was part of her te her technique. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I've never yeah. studied, didn't study any of that. So, and that was a big part of it. So, so we were already like we were already conscious, socially conscious as artists. She really believed that you had to be socially conscious as an as an artist, and. So, but there wasn't, you know, the, you know, the funny thing about acting is like, oh, what did you, what made you decide to pick that part? It's like, I didn't pick anything. <laughs> well, I know that's they true. Pick me. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky to even have a job, you know? Right. I know. Um, so true. Yeah. For so long, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, I found myself moving upstate in the middle of this fracking fight, you know, <laughs> and, and it's happening all around me. So I'm I'm no longer like a guy on the sidelines. I'm like in the middle of it, and I'm trying to raise kids there. And and you know my my neighbors like willing to poison my water, you know, and 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 poison all everyone's water around us, you know. So I'm right in the middle of that thing, mm -hmm, and and mm -hmm. I and I get like a front seat view of what it's like to be in a sacrifice zone. And what it's like to be a frontline fighter and what it's like to live in a world where there's two sets of laws. You know, there's the laws that are for all of us and there's the laws that are for corporations or, or no laws that are for corporations, big wealthy mm -hmm. corporations and people of power. And so um, that really changed me. And, and that, that started, you know, that moved on to the Solutions Project. It was that it was my activism that that I was finding myself part of that made me say, hey, you know, 
why don't I do this with movies more? You know, I, I, I you know, and I was at a point where I could, you know, I could start producing uh-huh. things and developing things and, uh-huh. and that, and that, and, and I, you know, I'll tell you, I did The Kids Are All Right, which was just a great film and a funny film by itself, but it ended up having a real impact on the gay marriage issue, which was, which it landed right in the middle of. Right, right, right. And, and it was so humanizing. Um, and and, it, and what you realized about gay people is their marriages were just as bad as everybody else's. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you know they were they, they were going through the same stuff. You know, people who were married were straight were laughing at the same issues. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it just humanized it. And I think it really did change the conversation culturally. I, I saw how important that became to that specific fight and that's when i started to really feel like you know an article goes in a newspaper goes this far a documentary goes this far but a movie Hmm. that level of storytelling if you could get past the polemics if you could if you could just tell the human story Mm -hmm. it 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 resonates in all kinds of people outside of their political beliefs. Like, you know, dark waters that, that, mm-hmm. that you know, that thing's, that thing is seen by everybody. And, and, and we could all agree, like, we don't want to be drinking poison water that some major corporation, you know, knowingly did to us. Right. We don't want, we don't want our kids doing that. You know, we don't want that in our popcorn. We don't want that in our, our frying pans. You know, we don't want to die from some disease that someone else knew they were they were passing on to us. No one wants to do that. So, you know, when they hear that story, they see working class people being affected by it, and then all of a sudden, you you have a change happen. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, I think this is a good segue for us to bring out uh, Gloria Walton, who works with you on the Solutions Project. Um, so please uh, join us, Gloria. Hi, Ted. Hey, Gloria. Hey, Mark. Well, thanks, Gloria. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for very, having me. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. We're, it's very nice to meet you. I mean, I guess my first question is how the two of you met and um, how this whole thing came together. Gosh, how did the two of us meet? So in the work, <laughs> Mark is hardcore, which I know you know, uh, given that you're friends. And so... Um, and when I say hardcore, just meaning that he's always like in it with us in the community, um, you know, having just being really connected to his own personal experience and therefore being able to show up with like true authenticity and just one of the comrades. So um, and that was like several years ago because I've been doing this work for about 16 years um, and I started in. South Central Los Angeles, and um, what were you I, doing in South? Yeah. What 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 was it you were doing in South Central? Just just fill people in. Yeah, so I actually used to be a community organizer, and I still identify as an organizer. Um, so I'm not necessarily. I mean, sometimes I'm organizing people, but not in the ways that I did when I uh, was at this organization called Scope, and I started as an intern there. Uh, It stands for Strategic Concepts in Organizing and Policy Education. And so essentially, we were organizing the communities most impacted. Um, And in South Central, that was Black and Brown communities. And if you're not familiar, um, which I know, you know, we are familiar, but like South Central is 
a community that is surrounded by freeways from the north, south, east, and west. So it's literally in the center. Um, and therefore, diesel trucks are kind of going through all the time, um, going to the ports. And it's a highly concretized community. So minimal green space, uh, minimal trees, um, and it has high rates of poverty and um, like low wage sector work. So that kind of gives you an idea. And, and so when we're talking about um, most impacted communities, these are communities that are unfortunately living adjacent to freeways, uh, living adjacent to oil drilling and fracking. Um, and so often the entree point into climate was really like around public health because, you know, it wasn't a coincidence that South Central, um, you know, when you're looking at like county averages, it was one of the sickest communities uh, in LA and really across the state. <laughs> um, and high mortality rates, um, high infant mortality rates, high rates of asthma, cancer, things like that. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, when talking about um, climate, you know, trying to uh, talk about it for for so many years. I think for so many years, it was such a big concept that it was hard for people to get their heads around, even to this day, of any kind of like personal impact. I mean, when you think about it, it's, you know, force majeure is act of God. And like, yeah. and a lot of times there's things that are explained climate wise that they say it's a force majeure. And, and when something, it sounds like what you're doing is, is bringing it home to the community that if your own health or the health of your children is being specifically affected, making that connection between climate change and something that's really as, as personal and as easy to grasp onto as that is, is a really important thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that like the first lessons that I learned in community organizing um, was really talking about power and agency. So mm -hmm. this idea of all of us having power to change things and the reality that um, the conditions that the communities, um, you know, people who live in communities like South Los Angeles are living in are not happenstance or coincidence but it's actually the result of decisions that have been made by people mm -hmm. uh, and decision makers to create the conditions that we're living in. And so in the movement, we often say that the red line communities of yesterday are the environmental justice communities of today for that reason. Mm. Um, yeah, because it's not just some random <laughs> act of God, right? Like, you know, people... Um, decided who was going to live adjacent to freeways, who was going to live... Um, you know, what children were going to play next to fracking and oil drilling, um, who was going to live in a community where all the diesel trucks run through it. Right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready that, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If I could get just personal for one one second with you, Gloria, I mean, you know, doing the kind of work that you do, I'll speak for myself. You know, when I decided to do... um, the kind of work that I do, I did it because I wanted to be rich and famous and get girls. 
Um, but somebody who who uh, uh, devotes and spends their life on something as um, you know as as selfless as community organizing or uh, you know fighting you know uh, for against climate change, etc. It's such. It's. It. I'm. I'm just always Im- impressed with that, and I wonder if you can shed any light on what it was for you. Uh. uh you know, parents or one experience or or, uh. You know, whatever. Yeah, I'm appreciating that question, um, and I guess for me, it definitely started in childhood. You know, it's like I come from a most impacted community. Um, My family is still, you know, in most impacted communities um, in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, is where my family is. And they're, you know, dealing with the water crisis amongst many other things right Right. now. Right. Yeah. Um, And I grew up, you know, around like my uncles were day laborers (laughs) And therefore, they had infrequent work and inconsistent work and often stayed with my mom. My mom was like the house that everyone could come to and uh, eat and sleep and, you know, clean their bodies. You know, she was that person, which was a beautiful thing to grow up around Um, and a little traumatic in some ways, too. But at, at the end of the day, it was just really showing me about and demonstrating the importance of showing up for the people that you care about. Generosity. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And compassion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and love. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one one thing. So the fact that I come from these communities, it is personal. Um, and it's a deeply personal issue for me. And then there's like the beauty of it too. So, you know, I sh- I, I, I shared like, a lot of the crisis in South LA, but you know the the grassroots leaders there are very much the reason why I stayed in this work. Is really hearing their values, um, hearing their vision about the kind of community that they want to live in. You know where people have like access to clean water and and clean air and green space and good jobs, um, and a connection to their power. And that's also something that I saw with my grandmother. She actually raised me the first four years of my life. And my grandmother was a farmer. And, um, you know, there's like sayings and adages that I grew up hearing, which we all know, you know, where my grandmother would be like, you know, make sure you, if someone lent me something, make sure you give it back better than you found it. Um, you know, if I'm playing somewhere, make sure you clean it up and leave it better than you found it. And these are like adages and sayings that, you know, you don't think much about when you hear them. You know, you may even get a little irritated hearing it. <laughs> yeah. But these are the things that are, it's like simple things like that, that will help us do better as a society. And it's like a reflection again, like I just have to go back to to values Um you know, she would say that you need to think about the consequences of your actions. Um, and again, all of this is about climate <laughs> and the climate crisis and what we can be doing better. Um, you know, indigenous communities often talk about thinking seven generations ahead. 
which essentially is what that saying is about. Like, think about the consequences of your actions. How is this going to impact you, your family, your community? Um, you know, she would say, you're going to reap what you sow. <laughs> mm-hmm. So plant seeds that you actually want to to harvest. Right. And, um, and that everything comes from the natural world. Like as a farmer, that was really important to her. And she instilled that in me. And, you know, she was like, from your food to your medicine, to this home, you know, um, if you take care of the land, the land will take care of you. And so these were like basic things, you know, from the experience of poverty to the experience of people connecting to their individual power, values, and vision is is really what helps to sustain and drive me in this work. So for both of you, what is the day-to-day work uh, uh, for the Solutions Project? The Solutions Project, essentially we are a national organization and you know we were talking about most impacted communities. And so that is who we are here to serve. Uh, that's who we represent, our Black, Indigenous, immigrant, uh, Asian, American, Pacific Islander, Latinx, and other communities of color, um, and especially women of color. And the reason for that is because often, you know, regardless of what organization or corporation or wherever you're at, like women are the backbones <laughs> of these places and spaces. And so um, that's something that we always want to elevate. But at the Solutions Project, essentially, we are investing in BIPOC communities. We're amplifying BIPOC communities and their solutions. Um, And I raise money. You know, that's one thing that I do. And when I say that, like, I come from a most impacted community, I also used to organize in a most impacted community. I ran uh, the organization called Scope. And therefore, I understand intimately what it means and what it takes to do this work and um, how often this work is under-resourced and underfunded. Um, And especially if it's work that's led by, you know, BIPOC communities and women of color. A fraction of resources go to those places and spaces, even though these are the communities that are like innovating transformative climate solutions. And I can share uh, what some of those look like. Yeah, I'm really curious about that. What what are some of those solutions? <laughs> uh, you know, so we find a plethora of organizations and some highlights that come to mind. I'll probably talk about Uprose, which is like an organization uh, that's in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. And they are transforming, as we speak, this industrial waterfront into a wind energy hub. Oh, wow. And for them, that's about creating thousands of jobs. That's about powering millions of homes in New York. And that's about uh, a demonstrative model of what a just transition looks like, which is a transition that is bottom up, um, where the people who are closest to the problems are actually informing the solutions. Mm. Um, you can think about APEN, they're in Bay Air- in the Bay Area in California, and they are instituting what's called resilience hubs and building this. Um, and essentially, resilience hubs are all the community assets kind of coming together, whether that's youth centers, uh, community organizations, libraries, places of worship, where people are saying, hey, we are uh, the backbones of our community. 
let's link up and figure out how to be proactive um, when we have any crisis, let alone a climate crisis. So, you know, I can think about like COVID, for example, Mm -hmm. communities came together and we're like the first responders. And so resilience hubs are really building off of that model, especially when it comes to climate, because often um, we're reacting to climate conditions. Um, But when you think about building a resilience hub, it's saying, okay, if we know that we're going to have these recurring events, let's figure out how to be proactive and think about climate adaptation and mitigation up front. Um, and let's think about the democratization of an energy trans- transition up front. And so these communities are um, in a longstanding relationship to transform their neighborhoods uh, in ways that benefit everyone. One thing that I think about, like with the climate crisis, is people often just want to reduce it to solely being about too much carbon. Mm-hmm. in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and that it is right like we know it's definitely about carbon emissions but it when you just think of it only as that it, essentially you think it's just a balancing act okay we just remove the carbon and that's it mm-hmm. but one thing that i often say is that you know you can have a clean green economy that still has the same income inequality structural inequities racism xenophobia sexism that exists in today's society. And so when you think of it that way, that's actually a community and a society that's not so clean. And if our values aren't changing, you know, we'll be clean for a minute, but we're still going to get right back to where we started. Um, Because, you know, we should be thinking about it as like the carbon crisis, like too much carbon in the atmosphere is really a symptom of the root causes um, about the values and and dominant worldviews that drive our world. Um, and some of those things that come to mind for me, again, when I think about like most impacted communities is commodifying people and the places that we call home. And that means putting a price tag on the value of my life and putting one on the value of yours. And often the value of my life is sadly, less than the value of yours. And that's how we've been making decisions um, in our society. And then on top of that, it's like values around hyperconsumption, uh, hyperproduction, mass waste, and, you know, the phrases that none of us like to hear, but, you know, we're, we're in a reckoning where we do need to talk about white supremacy, colonialism, patriarchy, because all of these are the ideas uh, and the values that got us here to think that we can extract and exploit at any cost, um, you know, the cost of human life and the cost to our environment. I love what you say because I really believe that uh, y- you do a disservice uh, in life if you don't look at the connections between things, the connections between things that are negative and the connections between things that are positive. Um, it is very, very important uh to you know not to completely compartmentalize these 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 issues because oftentimes they are related you know education and race and climate and uh you know 
economy and and all these things. So I th- I'm really I'm very very uh, imp- imp- impressed both with that notion and with you and uh, with the great and powerful Mark Ruffalo. And I want to thank you guys for for being here and for hearing about this. But before I let you go. Is there a, a, a some place that people can go or uh, uh, help out, or 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 where can we where can we go to see see this great work that you're doing? Uh, well, the first thing you can do is check out our website, uh, thesolutionsproject.org, and there's a S at the end of solutions, so thesolutionsproject.org, okay. and you can see what we're doing, who we're funding. So again, I raise money every single year to resource frontline, most impacted communities that are Black, Indigenous, immigrants, uh, API, Latinx, and other communities of color. And we also amplify their solutions and their vision and their values. And we really try to disrupt uh, the dystopian narratives around climate and instead uh, connect to the dreams, the aspirations of frontline communities, because that's what's really going to help make our world a better place. So check us out at the Solutions Project. That's also a great site where you can see, you know, if there's an organization that you want to get involved in in your neighborhood, we actually have a map. And if you live in California, you can look that up and see which organizations are in your neighborhood. Oh, and that's then check great. Them out. That's great. That's great. Local Localizing it, which is always really important. So important. And we resource over 200 organizations across the country. Cool. And so please donate. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll just say this. As far as, you know, probably a lot of your listeners are very, feel very responsible and responsive to, you know, causes and the environment and social justice and so on and so forth. Um, you know, there's very... A lot of them probably actually give to uh, a lot of big organizations. Um, the one thing I, I could promise you this is that when you when you give to um, this organization, the the greatest percentage of your money will end up in in these communities more than I, I would say any other environmental organization. I could say that for sure, um, and probably on par with the best social justice or environmental justice groups for sure. I mean, we are probably the best um, as far as getting resources, not just money, uh, political resources, storytelling resources. You know, my function here is to use my privilege to lift these stories up into the mainstream, uh, to hear from the people we never get to hear from that's been probably the 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 greatest gift that i've been given and the and the greatest gift that i could give back thank you gloria and and gloria does it and and she lives by her values and and so just as far as organizations go and even those small dollars you know we could stretch ten dollars into a thousand dollars that's what these communities do. And we are the only organization that's actually will make sure they get that money, the, the, the lion's share of that money. So, so you know, I, I know it sounds like, oh, you know, these are big things. But man, even, even you know, $10 monthly, $20, these, these little donations that people are giving to NRDC and not to take anything away from them or some of these bigger organizations, 
your money will go much farther and the return on your money will go much farther in this organization than so many others. So when you're when you're taking that time to give, you know, definitely consider what we're doing because, you know, it's it's lifting the whole country from the bottom and, it, and it's righting the, the, the greatest wrongs that the whole country was founded on. And um, until we do that and heal in that sense, you know, the, the rest of it, I, I just don't see, it's like building uh, your, your home on a faulty, uh, faulty foundation. You know, we have to write that. And then the rest of the, rest of the building squares up, it co- becomes straight, becomes whole. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Mark Ruffalo, Gloria Walton, keep up the good work. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having us. That was so fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. That was a really fun episode of Six Degrees. And if you want to learn more about The Solutions Project, you can go to thesolutionsproject.org. And that's solutions with an S, thesolutionsproject.org. And you can find all the links in our show notes. And if you like what you hear, make sure that you subscribe to the show and tune in to the rest of our episodes. You can find Six Degrees on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. If you are inspired by today's episode, please join us in supporting 6degrees.org by texting the word BACON to 707070. Your gift empowers us to continue to produce programs that highlight the incredible work of everyday heroes, while also enabling us to provide essential resources to those that need it the most. Once again, text B-A-C-O-N to 707070 or visit 6degrees.org to learn more. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. Was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.